Let's just pray together, shall we? Father, as we come to these words from Matthew's Gospel, we remind ourselves that they are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and words that the Holy Spirit caused to be written down for our teaching and learning. So we pray that that same Holy Spirit will uh, come here now to us, open our ears and our hearts, and just implant your word there, Lord, and uh, give us willing and obedient hearts to, to obey what you tell us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as uh, Rich reminded us, uh, we come to fruit number five this morning, and it's kindness. And uh, I don't know about you, but it, it just seemed a fairly sort of, you know, hard to get your hand on what kindness really is. Um, and it's not the easiest thing to preach about, to be perfectly honest. Um, but uh, we'll come to that. So if you've got your Bibles open at uh, Matthew chapter 7, um, you may not you may have realised that the word kindness doesn't actually appear in that reading at all. And you might be thinking, well, how can I get kindness out of that? Um, hopefully we'll see in just a moment. These days, uh, it's popular uh, for every organisation to have some sort of motto or mission statement, isn't it? The Olympics uh, mission statement, I believe, is faster, higher, stronger, except they've had to add to it now and say it's faster, higher, stronger together. Uh, you can compete, but as long as you don't compete too much, you know, we have to do it together. My, my uh, school motto when I was at school was, it was in Latin, it was disque out disque day, uh, which means learn or leave. I don't know how much learning got done. Uh, I didn't know of anybody who actually left because they weren't learning. There were usually some more immediate sanctions, if that were the case, and more painful as well, if I remember rightly. What would a Christian motto be? What would we have for a motto? I can think of, of several. Uh, I think the Apostle Paul's motto might have been, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But we have a contender here, which I think might uh, be on the list and it's verse 12 in Matthew chapter 7. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And uh, Jesus tells us that uh, that saying, that simple sentence, sums up everything that the law and the prophets teach us. Now, that's what he said. And so it would be a good motto, wouldn't it, for us as Christians to have. In fact, uh, people have used it as a motto. Uh, it's reported that the Roman Emperor in the 4th century, I think it was AD, the Roman Emperor Alexander Severus, used this. He had it cast in gold and put up on the wall of his palace, this very f uh, sentence, uh, and used it as a motto for him and his staff. And down the ages, other ethical um, systems have used a similar motto uh, for their... Um, for the, for the basis of their actions, from Jewish rabbis uh, used it. Uh, even Confucius um, had a similar uh, saying. Normally, they were in, in the negative. Um, the rabbis, uh, and I believe Confucius, used it in the negative. Uh, don't do to anyone what you don't want them to do to you. Uh, well, that's okay. But it's a bit negative, isn't it? It means you don't have to do anything, just hope nobody does anything nasty to you. Uh, Jesus, as far as we know, was the first to put it in the positive. Do to others what you would have them do to you. 
And that puts an onus on it, doesn't it? It puts an onus on us to actually do something, to be positive towards those around us, rather than just sit back and uh, don't do anything to them and hope they don't do anything to you. Um, so Jesus says, be positive about it. Do to others what you would have them do for you. And that's a challenge to us. Why have I chosen this saying then of Jesus to talk about kindness? Well, I think this attitude sums up what kindness is, isn't it? Do to others what you would have them do to you. You want them to be kind to you, be kind to them. Be fair, be just, be nice to people. But kindness can sound like a bit of a weak idea, can't it really? You know, we have this idea of, uh, you know, great aunt Esther or something gives you a nice knitted jumper for Christmas and you say, oh, how kind, you know, that's really nice of you. In fact, I had an aunt once who gave me a clothes brush uh, for, my, for Christmas before I went away to college. I think she must have thought I was going to Cambridge or Oxford or something. We're going to have to wear a, a dinner jacket every night for, for dinner with the dean or something. I'm afraid um, where I went, Leicester Polly didn't really rise up to that height. Um, but I think she was being kind. She thought it would be helpful and she thought it was being kind. But the biblical idea of kindness, I think, is much stronger than that. Jesus says here that this... Uh, principle of doing for others what you would have them do for you as I said it sums up the law and the prophets and later Jesus um, gave his own summary of the law which was love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself which is a similar idea isn't it that sums up the teaching of uh, the law of the Old Testament love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself do for your neighbor what you would have done for you for yourself and as such it is a command of Christ that we do this that we do to others what they would have what we would have them do to us we love our neighbor as ourselves and if it's a command of Christ then it's something we need to take seriously it's not just something that we could just say oh well that's a nice thought isn't it and not think any more about it it's something we ought to be positive about something we ought to be intentional about. This is what we ought to be doing as Christian people. So we're going to look at these concluding verses of the Sermon on the Mount because I think what Jesus does here, he, he introduces this last section with that phrase, do to others what you would have them do to you, and then clarifies it or expands on it in the next few verses. And it's a summary of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, really. He's summing up his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, these words uh, are the summary. That's how we should be living as Christians. And uh, verses 21 and 24, later on uh, in the passage that Esther read for us, um, tell us how we can do that, how we can uh, sum up uh, what the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is. And they say that it's about putting the commands of God into practice, not just hearing God's words, not just listening to what God is saying and perhaps agreeing with it, but actually doing something about it, putting it into practice. And we'll see how that pans out in just a moment. So let's look at this then under four headings. Um, we're going to apply kindness to all this teaching that Jesus gave because I think that's what, it's, what, what he's summing up here. 
kindness to those around us. So first of all then, we're going to see that kindness is countercultural. It goes against the grain of where society is. In verses 13 and 14 of, of chapter 7, Jesus talks about two paths of life. He describes two paths of life, two ways to live. One path is wide, lots of people go down it, and one is narrow, which only a few find. And Jesus tells us where these two paths end up, what their destination is. The wide path leads to destruction, the narrow path leads to life. But he doesn't actually tell us here what these two paths represent. Uh, We have to deduce that from the rest of scripture. And we deduce, correctly I believe, that the wide path is the way of living uh, of the world, the way the world, the people who are not uh, reconciled to God live, people who are in rebellion against God live. They're not submitting to God's rule and that's how they live, on the wide path. And the narrow path is, describes people who have submitted to God's rule, who have come to faith in Christ and uh, have handed their, their lives over to Jesus and, uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, are living in obedience to God. It's a narrow path. So he doesn't actually say that, but we deduce that. But what he does tell us here is that the path to life is countercultural. In other words, it goes against the path that everybody else is on, the path to destruction. If you're on the path to life, then you're not on the path to destruction. You're going in a different direction. You're going against the flow of where most people in the world are going. Over the last uh, two or three years, I've experienced a couple of secular funerals, totally secular funerals with no religious content at all. And I have to tell you, they were quite depressing, (laughs) really. The focus was on the dead person, obviously, uh, and what they had done, what their life was like, if they'd achieved anything, what, what that was. And mostly it was about the fact that they'd lived life how they wanted to. They'd done it, as the song says, their way, did it my way. And you have to ask at the end of it, well, where did that lead? What was the achievement in the end? And the fact is, it led to the funeral service, to death. There wasn't anything else. No future, no hope, no real lasting legacy. And you come away feeling just flat, really. What was it all about? One of these people seemed to have spent most of his life in the pub. That's what was said. You know, he had a lot of friends, but it seemed to be that he spent, you know, an inordinate amount of time in the pub with his friends. And another one seemed to have spent most of his time on racetracks gambling. <laughs> that was his life and way of living. Now, I knew both men. That's why I was uh, experiencing their funerals. I knew both men, and they were decent enough guys. One of them was, was a very nice chap. But living life their way led to nothing, really, but a grave. And, of course, from a Christian point of view, it led not just to physical death, but to eternal separation from God if they hadn't come to repentance and faith before they died. And I'm not prepared to say whether they did or they didn't. That's God's business. But if they didn't, then um, what Jesus said is that the wide path, their own way, would lead to destruction. Kelly Slater is or was the world champion surfer. He's an American guy, um, 
champion surfer. Uh, he was third on the list um, to represent the United States uh, in uh, the new Olympic sport of surfing. Uh, they only had two. He was third on the list because uh, he was slightly older than the others, and the other two were, were chosen before him. But he was still world champion. He said this about the dangers in his sport. He said, I would never want to sound like a dark person, but none of us is getting out alive. And I think we all need to be comfortable with death. And it's almost like the goal of life is to live a great life, so that when you're gone, it was all done as good as can be. Is that it? Is that what life's all about? Do it, do as, as good as you can be, and then it's over. Living life on the principle of my way is the opposite of living for others, which is what kindness is, living for others. I learnt uh, as a child in Sunday school to, remem to, uh, to remember the secret of joy. Anybody else learn this in Sunday school? J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. It's the secret of joy. And doesn't that sum up what Jesus' teaching is here? Put Jesus first, or to use his summary of the law, love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And then put others next, love your neighbour as yourself and put yourself last of all. A life of sacrificial kindness will inevitably go against the tide of the, of the prevailing culture. To make time for the one who is ostracised in the office. To spare the price of a meal for the homeless one. To welcome a refugee into your home. These are not the normal way the world works. These are acts of kindness and others like them. And they are the fulfilment of Jesus' command to love our neighbours. They should be the marks of the Christian. We should be seen as the ones who do this sort of thing. I don't know how much you watch the news or the local news, but um, quite often, particularly on the local news, you get, uh, particularly during, during the, the COVID crisis, you have seen food distribution points, food banks. And quite often, they're in churches. They're churches that are doing it. Churches that are reaching out. Uh, my daughter-in-law works for a, uh, um, a charity in Scarborough uh, that reaches out to the homeless. And, and they were actually on the Look North News the other night, last night, uh, because they have received a, a lot of Af Afghan refugees. And they're there um, giving out food parcels for them, looking after them. It's a Christian charity. That's what they're doing. They're noted for going out of their way to serve others, being kind in a practical way. So kindness then is countercultural. Secondly, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Ah, you say, I know that because that's what we're doing. We're doing the fruit of the Spirit. We've seen over the, the weeks that we've, been, that we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit that the picture of a fruit-bearing tree is common in Scripture. And Jesus uses it here. Verse 17 says that a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. But I think what we need to note here, what's important for us to note, is that all of us by nature are bad trees. What did you think about when you read that or heard that? A good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. And you think, oh, well, I'm quite a good tree, really. I think my fruit's quite good. But the Bible tells us that we are by nature bad trees bearing bad fruit. 
We are not good trees. We cannot bear good fruit unless the Holy Spirit lives in us and causes that fruit to grow within us, to blossom and grow. We need to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and receive his Holy Spirit and then the fruit can grow in us. Then we can become good trees and we can reflect the character of God. And one of the characteristics of God is that he is kind, his kindness. Paul in his letter to Titus chapter 3 verse 4 says this, When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God in his kindness showed us mercy and saved us if we turned in faith to him. And in uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says God's kindness is expressed to us in the person of Jesus and he describes it as the incomparable riches of his grace. God's kindness is expressed in the incomparable riches of of his grace. There's nothing like God's kindness anywhere else in the whole universe. It's incomparable and it's expressed in Jesus Christ. Nothing can be compared to that. Nothing matches up to it. Jesus is inexpressibly kind, gracious and loving to us. We were rebels living our lives to please ourselves like those two men I've quoted about. We were opposed to God but Jesus came despite our rebellion and rescued us through, the, through his sacrifice on the cross. Paul in Romans chapter 2 tells us that the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience, which we looked at last week, are meant to lead us to repentance. When we realise how kind God has been to us, it should lead us to him in repentance and faith. Those of you watching online and those of you here in the room today, have you seen how kind God has been to you? How much he loves you? How much he longs for you to come to him and put your trust in him? He is kind. He's not some sort of ogre up in the sky waiting to trip you up, saying, ah, look, you've messed up again. He's not like that. He is kind. He is patient. He is loving and gracious. He wants nothing but the best for you. So if you haven't done so, entrust your life to him. It will be safe there in the the hands of a kind and loving God. When we've tasted God's kindness, then that fruit can begin to grow in us. Psalm 103 tells us that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. When we've understood that, we've understood that we deserve God's punishment but instead he's shown us kindness, then we can be kind to others in the way that God has been kind to us. Now I'm not saying that there aren't uh, kind people in the world who are not Christians. Of course there are. But the kind of sacrificial kindness that goes out of our way to help people who are undeserving and often thankless is only really possible when God the Holy Spirit lives in us. And that will be the fruit of the Spirit growing within us. So kindness then is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We need the Spirit of God growing that fruit within us. And thirdly, 
kindness is expressed in action and not words. If we go back into to Matthew's Gospel here, chapter 7, Jesus says some very challenging words to us. He says that not everyone who calls him Lord and does things in his name will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who will enter are those who will do the will of, do the, will of the Father. Of course, we must confess that Jesus isn't Lord. We're told that in scripture. We confess Jesus is Lord primarily when we're baptised. That's when we express publicly our faith in him. Uh, we express Jesus is Lord when we worship together and we sing together. And we may do it when we talk to others about our faith. But Jesus is saying here that all those words of expression of the Lordship of Christ in our lives are not worth anything if they're not backed up by actions in our lives as well. If we do not live up practically in our lives to the words that we express, then we become hypocrites. And Jesus had some very strong words to say about hypocrites. Let's consider for a moment how Jesus expressed his kindness. He was gentle with a woman caught in the act of adultery. He lovingly restored Peter after his denial of Jesus. He touched the untouchable lepers. He welcomed outcasts. In fact, he was accused of eating with sinners. It was a not the done thing in those days, but he willingly did it. He, he laid aside his own reputation so that he could mix with outcasts. He had time, even in his dying moments, to forgive his murderers and to give hope to a dying thief. These are all actions which spoke far louder than any words could have. Kindness is going out of your way to show compassion. It is seeing things from the other person's point of view and then doing something about it. The Apostle James gave a similar warning to Jesus as, as the one Jesus gave here. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? Kindness, then, is love in action. Let's be wary of proclaiming our faith with words, but allowing our actions, or lack of them, to deny the reality of that faith. Kindness is something real and practical. Then lastly, kindness is built on a solid foundation. In the familiar little story of the two house builders, I'm sure we, we're all familiar with that. Jesus makes it clear what the firm foundation for a life that will last to eternity is. In verse 24 he says, it is the one who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. He is the one whose house is built on a solid foundation, whose life will last to eternity. Now in a sense this is stepping back a stage from the last point. Yes, we must put our faith into action, but how can we do that when our sinful nature is so powerful that when the chips are down, we only really want to look after number one. We want to make sure we're okay, don't we? The answer is, what, what, is our life, what are our lives 
founded on? What is the basis of our lives? The two men who I mentioned whose funerals were celebrations of their lives had built their lives on a foundation of sand. And when it came to the end, it all came crashing down really. There was nothing lasting left, nothing, no legacy, nothing to hand on. The fruit of the Spirit, one of which is kindness, can only come if the foundation of our lives is solid. To use another analogy, going back to the, to the tree bearing fruit, a tree can only bear fruit if it is firmly rooted in good productive soil. We had a tree in our garden and sadly it had to be cut down recently. It had grown, quite strangely, uh, at right angles. It had grown up and then turned and, and gone sideways for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe there was something there originally and when it had done that, it went up again. Uh, a most odd shape. But it was a lovely tree. But one day, uh, beginning of the summer, it just suddenly fell over. Boom, like that. Because the roots could not support the weight of the tree any longer. And we had to have it to cut, cut up, which is very sad. I think most people want to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, whether they're Christians or not. Most people would want to be kind, want to be loving, want to be joyful, and so on. And of course, most people succeed to some degree or other. After all, we are all, as human beings, created in the image of God. And that image uh, is marred, yes, it's damaged, yes, but it is still there. There are kind people, there are loving people, there are patient people in the world. But just like my tree, unless their lives are rooted in Christ, at some point, it will all come crashing down, even if it's only when they die and meet Christ, the judge of all people, at the end. Hebrews 9.27 says, People are destined to die once and after that face judgment. And it's then that the fruit of our lives will be assessed by the faithful and just God. Jesus told a very challenging story in Matthew chapter 25. He said that the ones who will be welcomed into eternal life will be those who feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick and visit prisoners. And we can only do those things selflessly, um, consistently, uh, as our lives and circumstances allow, if our lives are grounded in Christ who gave his life for us. It is not possible to live consistently kind, outgoing, selfless lives because of the sin within us. We are selfish by nature and we need the forgiveness of God and the power of the Spirit within us to change that. I know I need help with this. We are so sinful that self-preservation often caps service and sacrifice, doesn't it? The writer to the Hebrews says, let's consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. So let's do that in our life groups, in our chat after church, in our friendships. Let's do that. Let's spur one another on to love and good deeds, to kindness. Let's take opportunities to be kind practically to one another and to those outside as well. What is your life founded on this afternoon? Is it words of profession? 
but does it lack actions to accompany those words? Is it a lifelong attempt to do the right thing? To be kind as far as you're able, but in your own strength, trying as hard as you can? Is it even a devil-may-care sort of attitude, which says, as long as I'm okay, then that's all I'm really worried about. Everybody else can get on with their own lives. Well, none of those will impress the judge of all when we meet him. We need Jesus Christ as the bedrock of our life. We need the Spirit of God living in us. Then the fruit can grow. We need to be looking out for opportunities to be kind to one another, to those around us, to the undeserving, to the ungrateful, to those perhaps who reject us and mock us for being Christians. Can we still be kind to them? Jesus' instructions for kindness begin very simply, giving a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, sharing somebody's burden when it's too heavy for them, going a bit further with them than, than we've been asked to do. But if we truly want to follow Jesus, then those simple acts of kindness lead to a greater uh, degree of sacrifice. In fact, they lead to, to us following our Saviour who laid down his life for his friends, even for his enemies as well. Doesn't Paul tell us that while we were still uh, sinners, Christ died for us? So, do to others as you would have them do to you. Why? Well, because God has shown such amazing kindness to us. He's rescued us from death and hell and given us access to all the riches of heaven. So a simple and yet challenging response to what God has done for us is to reflect that kindness in our own dealings with others. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your kindness. We admit and recognise that we have often spurned it, we've often taken you for granted, we've often rebelled against you, and yet you've continued to be kind towards us and shown us grace and mercy. Please help us, Lord. Please deal with our selfishness, our self-preservation, and help us to look towards the needs of others, to be kind and gracious to be loving and generous. And may we be known for that as your people, Lord, by those around us. May they see the love and the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ in us as we care for each other and reach out to the world around us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, Lord. We can't do it on our own. So please come and enable us, empower us, and make us willing to serve you in this way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.